I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. We begin tonight with a special story that celebrates Father's Day and Gay Pride. Benjamin Hobson is a 25-year-old father of two who recently came out as a gay man and shared his story with the world in a YouTube video. He shares his struggle with alcohol and how he found the courage to confront his personal truth. And then our next two guests are authors of two amazing new books. Susanna Walters is a professor at Northeastern University and just released a truly thoughtful book called The Tolerance Trap. She's here with us to share some cautionary words about the progress we've made with the LGBT civil rights movement. And finally, Jameson Green, one of the many contributing authors of a new book called Trans Bodies, Trans Selves, is here to talk about his writing for what can only be called an encyclopedia of gender identity. It's an amazing first-of-its-kind resource, and you'll hear all about it right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, June 22, 2014. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. The decision by Daniel Shapiro, the American ambassador to Israel, to fly the rainbow flag at the embassy in Tel Aviv received very mixed reviews this month. The embassy displayed a picture of the flags on their Facebook page with Shapiro writing, For the first time in history, the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv has raised a pride flag together with our American flag. We are proud to join the municipality of Tel Aviv and its residents in celebrating LGBT Pride Week. However, many took offense. One commentator wrote, This is inappropriate, shameful, and embarrassing. Assuredly, this is not the voice of Americans, but rather that of a disgraceful administration. However, Shapiro stood by his decision to raise the flag. The embassy later posted a message of congratulations to the Pride participants with a picture of Shapiro marching in the city's Pride Parade. And it'll be one year ago this week that the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the Federal Defense of Marriage Act and made a decision about California's Proposition 8 that resulted in marriage equality being restored in our state. And since that time, marriage equality has become a reality in nine more states, bringing the total now to 19. Lawsuits challenging same-sex marriage bans are pending in every other state of the country. And this week, President Obama appointed two openly gay African-American judges to the federal bench, and both were confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Darren Gales has been confirmed to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, and Stacey Yandel has been confirmed to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Illinois. President Obama has already nominated more African-American judges and openly gay and lesbian judges than any of his predecessors. And here locally, in Calistoga, the city council voted this last Tuesday night to declare the month of June LGBT Pride Month and to fly the rainbow flag in front of City Hall during the last week of June. Last year, the city of Calistoga tried to fly the rainbow flag, but without a vote of the city council. After a complaint was filed, the flag was taken down. But this year, it appears it will fly legally by vote of the city council there. And tonight begins Pride Week here in the Bay Area. There are many ways you can celebrate. Frameline 38, the largest LGBT film festival, is running throughout the week. The GLBT Museum in the Castro is open all week with all new exhibits. And of course, the San Francisco Pride celebration happens next weekend with a Pride Parade down Market Street on Sunday starting at 10 a.m. We'll have all the details for you on our website at OutBeatNews.com. And also this week, the World Pride Celebration will be happening in Toronto, Canada. The city is pulling out all the stops and coloring everything rainbow from the crosswalks to the city buses. And we'll be in Toronto to bring you coverage from World Pride starting on Wednesday. You can find feeds on our Facebook and Twitter page and, of course, on next Sunday's Outbeat News segment. Now here's your calendar of events for the coming week. On Monday, June 23rd at 7 p.m., the Parents of Transgender Youth Support Group will meet at the Positive Images Center, 312 Chin Street in Santa Rosa. And also on Monday from 5.30 to 8 p.m., the Marin AIDS Project will host a mix-up, their monthly mixer, at the Four Points Sheridan, 1010 Northgate Drive in San Rafael. And on Wednesday, June 25th at 5 p.m., Spectrum's Youth Support Group will meet at the Spectrum Center, 30 North San Pedro Road in San Rafael. And on Friday, June 27th at noon, the Positive Women's Group will happen at Food for Thought, Sonoma County AIDS Food Bank, 6550 Railroad Ave in Forestville. And finally, happening right now on KRCB-TV, Channel 22, until 11 p.m., the Travel, Leisure, and Wine Auction is on. 
For the first time in PBS and LGBT history, auction items and travel packages specifically for LGBT folks are being offered. You can tune in to KRCB-TV or bid online at krcb.org. And of course, all proceeds help keep programs like Outbeat Radio on the air. For more information about local LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. We begin tonight by celebrating Father's Day and Gay Pride Month. I'd like to share with you the story of one gay dad who just recently came out to his family after overcoming a battle with alcohol and finding the courage to face his own personal truth. Benjamin Hobson's story is simply inspiring, and he's here to tell us all about it. Ben, welcome to Outbeat News In Depth. Thanks, Grace. Well, it's great to have you here. And in your video you published, you tell your story using a storyboard. So it's told in sort of a visual way. And since we can't actually show that to our listeners, why don't you start up by telling us your story as you shared it with the world? Okay. My uh, story that I shared with YouTube, it was, it started off as telling YouTube that my mom died, you know, in 2008. And a month later, I got, I married my wife. And we uh, got pregnant, and we had a, our first daughter that next summer. And then I wrote, four years later, we had our son. And after that, I wrote that uh, that was my perfect little family. Or so I thought, you know, like I had a wife, two kids, perfect family, right? Like the mm-hmm. American dream. And then shortly after that, I started to have um, drinking problems. It... it I, I didn't share this in my coming out story, but I showed it in another video that the reason I had drinking problems is because I I had these feelings and it kind of stemmed from um, an experience with a friend the summer of 2013. And we we uh, kind of had a little, you know, uh, r- risque experience, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and I thought for that entire year of 2013, the entire year of, you know, what just happened, like, you know, and um, it seemed like my drinking caught up with me a little bit more too, and I just needed to drink to let loose and have fun. Like I needed it. Like I went on a deployment actually to an island, and a good friend of mine said, "You don't need a drink to have fun," and mm-hmm. that just like it, it was. A, it sparked me. It and what's funny story is is that guy. He just messaged me like a couple days later saying congratulations and. Um, he said he's only come out to his friends and family, and I had no idea that he was gay as well. That's kind of wow. Cool. Yeah, so that was really cool. But he gave me some awesome advice way back when. So, about, so you two were in the military together. We were, yes. What what branch? The Air Force. Outstanding. Okay. And so my drinking just kind of went out of control, and I, I had lots of blackouts, and of course, you know puked here and there in 2013. I mean, like, for the past three, four years. Like, it, I was a mess. Mm. And I decided it was time to stop. And I stopped in January 2014. And a month later, I finally came to terms with what kind of, what feelings I was feeling because I was talking to my my best straight friend and my best gay friend and just talking out, talking my feelings out with them and realizing, wow, you know, this might be who I am. And that's, uh, that's how I found out. And it was really, really liberating and good feeling when I put that video online. So how did your family react? I ended up sending an email to my family because I have four older brothers and two sisters, and they all live in different states. Mm-hmm. So instead of making a phone call to six people, which I probably could have had time for, but I just sent a long email to all of them, and they had awesome replies back because they already accept gay people as we are because my brother Paul is gay too. He's actually, he got married last October. Mm. So my family's reactions was actually pretty well. They said, we still accept you. You know, you can't get out of our family. Like we still love you. That's great. (laughs) I'm sure that made it easy. And, and so tell us about your family, your immediate family. How did things go with your wife and and the kids, I, I suppose the kids were too young to understand. Yes, my my daughter is almost five years old, and my son is 
seven months old. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they are, they are still pretty young, but, um, my wife definitely took it the hardest. Yeah. Uh, In February, when I first came out, it was on Super Bowl Sunday and I just sat her down on the couch and said I needed to tell her something. And I'm sure she thought it was, oh, Ben probably cheated on me or something or, but it was, I told her I was gay and I told her why I thought I was and she was in denial and she stood up from the couch and walked out of the house to do some laundry and she came back in and folded some clothes and she was just in shock and then it took a couple days for it to kind of sink in but she still didn't believe me. She really thought that I was trying to lie that I was gay so I could leave our marriage for another woman, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, like these are the feelings going through her head, right? Right. That she's not good enough, that there's somebody else. And so, um, right now she lives a mile away from me with the two kids and I, uh, see them whenever I can on my days off. So I'm actually should see them this Sunday, actually in a couple days. So terrific. And how's your relationship with her now? We're really good friends right now That's when great. we see each other. We aren't, there's no hard feelings. We uh, talk and laugh and joke. And That's great. That's great. And I had to, I have to imagine that once she came to understand the reality here, that in fact you're gay, that that took some pressure off of her in terms of feeling inadequate or whatever. Yes. Yeah. She, she definitely felt a lot better when she realized that, oh, yep, my husband's for sure gay after, you know, she learned of a couple other things, you know. Right, so. right. Uh, you talk about uh, your struggle with alcohol, and I know that a lot of LGBT people struggle with alcohol and drugs, other forms of substance abuse. Tell us a little bit more about your struggle with alcohol and what, you know, you mentioned the, the, the comment from your friend about uh, you don't have to drink to have fun. What else fed into your ability to have the courage to step up and, and take control of this? One day I was drinking uh, a lot of whiskey. I don't know what what it was, and I was so drunk that I passed. I was passing out on the couch. I I couldn't move. I was just so so out of it. And my daughter, I saw her walk up to me, and she wanted to go play some games or something. You know, like go play a board game, go read a book, and you know, I saw myself like, look, Daddy can't play with you right now. I'm too drunk and wasted to play with you, and. That really that that hit me hard, like um, not being able to spend time with her. So uh, that that played into it. Just realizing that I I couldn't spend time with my kids, and also I also had a close friend's dad pass away from cirrhosis, I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, he had a big drinking problem, and he was probably only fifty years old. And I guess I wanted to live a long life. You know, I've, I I try to be really healthy and. You know, drinking too much and ruining your liver probably isn't a healthy life. And so I just kind of realized that. And Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how much courage it must have taken to really look at yourself, both to deal with your alcohol as well as your sexuality at the same time. It, it, yeah. Was, it, yeah, it was really kind of strange because um, I tried going back to church, actually, in 2013. I tried bringing my whole family, getting all... Uh, getting all churched up into the Mormon religion because mm-hmm. that, that's the religion that I'm closest to, I guess. So mm-hmm. we we tried to get back into that, and I figured if I was part of a religion, the religion would hold me accountable for my drinking. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work out too well because you can't just join something to, I don't know. And uh, so that didn't work out. So I was like, oh, what else can I try? You know, something else. I got to get this drinking under control. And it was really cool. Like the right after I came out, I had no more addiction feelings to want to drink like I had no wants at all and I was even stuck in my house in California for 30 days without my kids because they I flew them back to South Dakota in March and so from March to April I was stuck in my house alone with my feelings and whatever you know and just missing my kids and you know I never touched a drop of alcohol and it it was really cool I was that powerful enough to just not not need that incredible the the power of truth right that's a real testament to it so you mentioned having an experience uh in 2013 was that the first experience or the first feelings that you had uh around being attracted to another man that was probably the biggest experience but 
I've always I've always checked out guys all of my life, but I figured that was I just figured that was a normal thing. Like um, I I grew up believing that Satan is real because that's the Mormon mm-hmm. religion. You believe Satan and God, so I believe that whenever I was checking out anybody, you know, guys, girls, whoever, it was just Satan tempting me. So that I I guess I I blamed a lot of those gay feelings on oh that's just that's just normal. Everyone gets those. Mm-hmm. Because everyone, Satan can influence everybody. So it's really hard to explain to people like um, when, like if, like how come I only had thoughts about being gay, like, you know, uh, so recent. But um, no, no, I, I, I think I explained in a video uh, or a journal or something that I put online that I, um, I, did, ex- I did experience with a couple uh, kids my age when I was like, I think 11 or 12 when we were playing on the river or something, we... Uh, I think that I think that was more of just um, young people, you know, experiencing with themselves, sure. you know, yeah. So, but yeah, I just I just grew up in a Mormon religion, so there wasn't really, you know, much options to explore your sexuality because you know um, we're not encouraged to explore our sexuality at, at all. Period. You know, right. you're taught to be monogamous and no sex until you find your mate to marry. You know, so. So with all of that in the back of your mind, I'm um, just curious, how did you meet your wife? We met at the mall, and I was buying a Mother's Day gift for my mom that year. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the same year she died, actually, in September. Hmm. But um, And we just started dating, and she was a really good friend. And I, she just happened to be the girl I was dating when my mom died, because when my mom died, I... I, I hope people like kind of assume this or like put like connect the dots, but you know, my mom died like in September and then, you know, my wife got pregnant in October and then we got married in December. Like mm-hmm. something changed in me that I, 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 I lost a significant woman in my life. Right. And so I felt I needed to replace that with a wife and a daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and it, I was just, um, I didn't seek any counseling after my mom died. I, she, 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 uh, I don't think I put this in my coming out story, but she died of suicide, mm. and that was a big hit on me. And I, I didn't seek any counseling, any help at all. I just figured I could get it. I, I figured I had enough support back in South Dakota with my wife and her family that I would be fine. So uh, I wasn't fine though because I, I still ball like I still I still break down in tears. Oh sure, like a few times every year because uh, I miss my mom. I like. You know, I'll, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, really emotional trying to. I can't yeah. even imagine. I cannot even imagine. Um, what a coming together of events, you know, between your mom and getting married and then coming out and combating alcohol and finding your own truth and now being happy. She has to be looking down on you with a big smile and just a lot of pride. I, I cannot imagine where all that courage came from. I I can say that a lot of courage, a, lo- a lot of my bravery came from online blogs actually mm. i i google searched gay dads or gay dads coming out or something like that and i found a straight wife blog of all these uh wives that had previously been married to men that came out gay to them or were you know sleeping around behind their backs and i read all of these horror stories of all of these men in their 30s 40s and 50s getting caught on the computer, you know, looking at gay stuff or uh, having gay relationships behind their wives' backs. And I read all these stories and I realized, do I really want to be this person when I'm older? Is that who I want to strive mm-hmm. to be? Married in the closet with a boyfriend on the side mm-hmm. and ruining my kids' lives when they're in high school. Mm-hmm. And I took a look at my life and realized, you know, it's now or never. You know, I got I to gotta do this or... I'm going to be worse off. I know it. Right. So is that what inspired you to create a video and, and really put your story out there in such a public way? I mainly just created this video so I could share with my 400 Facebook friends, you know, friends and family that I just want to show them my story instead of just posting a, a status. You know, like I'm, I'm really, I, I see myself as really creative. I've been making movies just for fun since I was in like middle school or high school and I, I make movies for everything, so oh, wow. this seemed like a good way to do it. And I didn't want to p- just post a status with words saying, hey, I'm gay, because, you know, your friends might just think you're joking or say April Fool's or something, so. Right, 
Well, I figured this video was a good thing to do. Uh, well, I mean, this is a, a, a perfect opportunity to give some advice to our listeners who may be struggling with some of the similar challenges you had. Uh, what would you tell a closeted gay dad out there? I would just tell them simply, do you want to, do you want to live in the closet till you're 40 or 50 years old or, you know, older, you know, like, do you want to live your whole life in fear? Cause that's fear. Just, I realized fear kept me in the closet, the one word of fear. And, and I would just tell them, look at your life and think, you know, do you want to be happy or do you want to be okay? Yeah. And at some point you've got to, you've got to share that news with your wife and it's i don't think it i don't think there's an easy way to do that so where can people go to see your other work your movies and uh you said you had an online journal yeah my my online journal is on a tumblr i uh i just use my username hobdog and uh i copy and pasted journal entries from from way back in the 90s like um i did write about my childhood in my journal like after the fact mm-hmm and then I then, and then I copy pasted that and put it online, and it just uh it shares every little gritty detail, and I, I I'm not really people think maybe I shouldn't, and that you know I should be ashamed of doing that, but I I, I just feel like I'm ever since I came out I've been super honest, and it's nice to be honest and truthful and out in the open and not worry about anything. It does feel good, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think it's really helpful for other people. Just like you commented before about you getting strength and uh, learning a lot from reading about the stories of others, your story is a great example. Um, and I think it, it's beneficial out there. So you know, I applaud you for doing that. Um, we'll have links to your sites on our own webpage at outbeatnews.com. I'll track down the one for YouTube and, and uh, the Tumblr one and put that on there for our listeners to, to check out. Okay. Well, Ben, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Congratulations to you, and uh, happy belated Father's Day. I think oh, you, yeah. I think you have so much to be proud of this month, in, in uh, the month of June, Pride Month, and certainly a lot to be proud of as a, a father. You're, you're a great example of courage for your kids, that's for sure. Thanks, Greg. You're listening to Outbeat News In-Depth on KRCB-FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. Our next guest just released a new book that I think is a perfect read for Gay Pride Month. Susanna Walters is a professor at Northeastern University and the author of The Tolerance Trap. Susanna, welcome to Outbeat News In-Depth. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And so before we get talking about your new book, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to write? Uh, well, I am a professor of sociology and the director of women's gender and sexuality studies at Northeastern University and been writing and, and um, speaking on gay and lesbian issues and uh, queer studies and women's issues for years and years. And this book, um, in, in many ways, came out of my last project, All the Rage, which was about uh, gay visibility in America. And it was originally intended as a sort of follow-up to that book, but it became more about this, this focused around this question of tolerance mm -hmm. and a, a sort of, you know, assessing kind of the state of the gay rights movement and where we are. And, and particularly um, interested in, the, in, in what I saw as a, a, a kind of narrative of progress that we had that, you know, this idea that it's all over. We've got gay marriage. We've got a couple gay people on television. We might as well pack up our tutus and go home. Uh, the, movements, the movements won. And so in many ways, this book was written and this research was, was conducted as a sort of cautionary tale, both for gays and straight allies, uh, to say we're, we're, hardly, we're hardly there yet. Right. And, and you do talk a lot. I mean, that's the central theme throughout the book is the idea that by accepting tolerance, we're really selling ourselves short. Talk more about that gap you see between full equality and acceptance and, and tolerance. Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and I think many people think it's sort of counterintuitive to say, hey, tolerance isn't so good. And let me be clear, I'll take tolerance over gay bashing any day. Mm -hmm, I mean, if mm -hmm. that's, you know, tolerance is certainly an improvement upon outright hatred. But when you think about it, tolerance is a pretty low bar. Uh, and acceptance is a pretty low bar to have for any social movement. I mean, think about the language of tolerance. We, we talk about 
tolerating an irritating neighbor or tolerating a boring movie or tolerating, I'm a professor, I go to meetings all the time, tolerating a meeting <laughs> that just runs on forever. I we can identify with that. Absolutely. We don't usually talk about tolerating a beautiful day, tolerating wonderful sex, uh, tolerating reading a, a you know absolutely um, beautifully written novel. And so tolerance almost always implies something we would rather do without or we think is kind of icky or we don't embrace it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that, that what the gay movement wants is tolerance uh, seems to me selling ourselves and, by the way, selling straight people really short. I mean, no social movement worth its salt has banked on tolerance as the end goal. We want freedom. We want civil rights. We want full inclusion. We want, you know, bottom line, we want a celebration of all that we bring to this party. Right. Uh, and tolerance really can never do that. And, and in many ways, tolerance, I think, not only is, is, you know, sells us short and is a low bar, but I think tolerance actively undermines the potential for a more, more robust inclusion and integration. Mm-hmm. You know, and with that uh, comes sort of a disappearance of identity, too. I mean, you talk about the disappearance or the slow disappearance of gay neighborhoods that were once, you know, really vibrant uh, with gay life. Some would argue that that's a good thing because people are finding their way into mainstream. Uh, but talk about the pros and cons of this evolution and, and how it might be really weakening our community. Well, it's a very good question. I mean, there are pros and cons of it. You know, God knows there's an advantage to a kind of, and a similar, some sorts of assimilation in which, you know, gays and lesbians become an integrated part of American culture. Um, and that has happened, and it certainly has changed enormously from the time I was a, a young woman coming out in Philadelphia in the 70s. I mean, it was a very different environment. Uh, but, you know, there is something lost, not in a ghettoization. Uh, we don't want to return to that, God knows. But there is something lost when everything gets absorbed into the mainstream. Or, you know, and, and, and so, for example, all the gay bookstores uh, that right. used to be a part of all of our lives. I mean, we just seen the passing of Giovanni's Room in Philadelphia in my hometown. One of the great, wonderful old bookstores that, that for many of us, was such a central part of the community. And, you know, it's, it's really different to walk into a gay bookstore than to walk into the gay sections of, of Barnes & Noble. Right. Um, or to shop for your gay book on Amazon. Not that we shouldn't do that. But there is something lost about that physical presence of gay community. Now, there are obviously still gay neighborhoods all around the country. But I do think, you know, it becomes much more gay neighborhoods as commercial spaces rather than, than gay neighborhoods as sites of really community building that are rooted in places like bookstores, like coffee houses. Um, you know, and some of that is just the price of progress. I mean, there's no question there is you know, a, a benefit to having been integrated more. But there are also some losses in the sense of um, those physical spaces that we can call our own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, one of the great bookstores in San Francisco, A Different Light, that hosted uh, two of my book release parties that was really a focal point of that community, finally closed. It, and yeah. As you know, it was one of three, and I just think it's a real tragedy. There's a, I think there's a clothing store in there that looks like any clothing store you would see on any street. There's nothing special about it. Yeah, I mean, it is a shame. I, you know, and the bookstores, I think, for those of us who are writers and readers and um, you know, our, it, the, the loss of the bookstores is particularly poignant um, because that, for many people, certainly for me, the bookstore was sort of the first site of coming out. Uh, it was the place you walked into to see the notices post up, you know, and right. I, I'm, I know I'm sounding old and nostalgic now, but, you know, there are alternatives. I mean, you know, one of the things that has happened, there's no doubt, is that the Internet has give, you know, given rise to forms of community making and community building um, that have replaced some of those physical spaces with virtual spaces. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they've completely disappeared, but they've become, I think, dispersed into some of those virtual spaces now. Right, 
Right. And you and you, you mentioned coming out. I, I enjoyed your discussion in the book about how coming out of the closet has changed. That whole that whole concept uh, has changed, particularly in light of, you know, so many celebrities and sports figures that are coming out now. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think coming out has been the sort of grand narrative for gay life. It's been our, you know, our 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 storyline. Um, you know, it used to be that was the you know, first thing you said to someone when you're trying to pick them up in a bar, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you start talking about how you came out. And it, it, it was it has been very much the way in which we've been represented in popular culture, the you know, in film and television and so on. And the coming out stories have been very, very dominant. I mean, one thing that's happening now, I think there are a couple things happening now. I think one good thing that's happening is that that's not the only story of gay life anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things I find so interesting, for example, about television now, uh, when you look at things like Modern Family and other television series in which there are major gay characters, that coming, you know, they're already out. Uh, You know, it's it's not that grand Ellen moment where you see that transition in front of your eyes. What you have now in film and television, uh, in everyday life, is a depiction of gay life that isn't just rooted in this one dramatic story of coming out. So I think that's a good thing, mm-hmm. because I think you see a wider range of representation. On the other hand, um, the idea, which I think we see circulated a lot in the media now, that coming out is over. In other words, that it's so easy to do, that no one cares anymore, that you know, coming out is so yesterday. I think is a fantasy. I mean, all we have to look at is what the recent, the recent, you know, uh, stories of celebrity coming out. For example, the Michael Sam case. You know, many people look at that case of of this NFL football player coming out and who uh, dra- was just a draft pick. And you know, everyone said, "Well, this is this incredible moment where we we say, you know, the world has changed in- so enormously that even this macho football player comes out." Now, I look at this and I say. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm just a pessimist or a glass half empty kind of kind of woman, but I say actually, to me, this is a sign of how little has changed. The fact that in this year, you know, uh, 2014, we still have uh, uh, this is still media news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have this. We, we are still going through first. In other words, the first um, uh, pro football player to come out. The first this. The first that. So, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, when he kissed his, his boyfriend on uh, television, when he got the pick, that became a whole sight of, should he have done that? People are disgusted. People are celebrating it. Either way, I think, to me, it's a sign of, really? You know, it's a kind of moment you want to say, so we're still talking about this? This is, so, so for me, it's a sign that actually coming out is still fraught. It is still a problem that people still are in the closet. Uh, that it's still news. And I think we'll know that something has changed more fundamentally when, number one, coming out isn't a news story. Mm-hmm. And number two, we actually have so many more people out that those firsts are, never, are not happening anymore. Right, right. You know? I mean, yeah. when you look around you, it's still, uh, you know, whenever people tell me, oh, you know, everyone's out, no one's in the closet anymore. I say, well, if that were the case... You know, wouldn't we have more than one pro football player? Wouldn't we have more than a couple Congress people? Wouldn't we have someone in, you know, uh, the, you know, the Fortune 500? Um, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't it be the world look a little gayer right. if actually people were out more? So, to me, I some of this, this, this sort of, um, you know, a brouhaha around celebrity coming out recently is yet another sign. Uh, that the closet still has a lot of force and, uh, you know, the force of homophobia and the force of shame and of feeling alone still is with us. Right. And I think one of the things that that people still struggle with, society still struggles with, uh, is this idea is whether sexual orientation is a choice or whether it's it's biological you know, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think anything would change in terms of religious views and, and some of the pushback we get if science were to someday find the gene or the hormone or the combination of things that, that would absolutely prove that sexual orientation and gender identity is biological or physiological? Well, this is a really tough question. And as you know, I get into this a lot in my book. 
Um, but I think the gay, and, and let me just say that I think part of the problem with this whole issue about gay gene and biology and born this way is that we do see in the polls a really strong correlation between thinking that gayness is something that is biologically predetermined in some way and being more accepting, so to speak, of gays and lesbians. In other words, the more you believe that gays are born this way, the more likely you are to support gay and lesbian rights. Mm -hmm. So I think there is this correlation we have to reckon with. I would say a couple things about this. Um, first of all, I would say the science is very thin on this. I mean, this is, you know, the science on sexual orientation is with, you know, is, is a very fraught science. It's been heavily critiqued. Uh, you know, I don't think it is robust science by and large. I would also say more to the point, though, that this is the wrong question to be asking. In other words, the question of civil rights should have nothing to do with biological predetermination one way or another. And the very fact that we don't search for a straight gene, that no one's saying, what causes this weird thing called heterosexuality? Why are people compelled to do this? Should give us some indication of the kind of politics involved in searching for biological causation in some way. I mean, for, for most of us, particularly for women um, and for people of color, we know that, that um, biological arguments have largely been used to oppress groups. All you have to do is look at the history of, race, you know, of racism, look at the history of uh, anti-Semitism, and you'll see, look at the history of gender inequity, and you'll see how biological arguments have mostly been used not to liberate people, but they've been used to make arguments for inferiority for difference that is um, less than, that is worse. So the question is not, are we born this way, All right? But the question is, do people have civil rights regardless of how they got there? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think part of it is the, the born this way problem is the wrong question. You know, it really is the wrong question to ask. I would also say it's a very narrow uh, way of thinking about sexuality. As most of us know, our sexuality changes often throughout the life course. Uh, people change their desires, who they like, what they like to do, with whom they like to do it. Right. Uh, so to, to, to think of sexual desire in a singular way, that there's some gene that produces X, you know, in this way, that there's some endocrine uh, function, belies, I think, the way in which most people experience the fluidity of sexual desire. It is, it is a murkier and messier thing than can be explained by some singular biological argument. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's also, as I say, a very dangerous, dangerous argument. Mostly we search for biological or, you know, causes in order to cure them. Yeah, and the so. whole the whole the whole issue around choice is so much at the heart of what the Fourteenth Amendment is all about, right? We talk about in this country valuing full equality for everyone, and yet we, particularly in conservative religious corners, just persecute people for making a choice, if indeed it's a choice. Absolutely. Look, I, let me let me be clear. I don't think sexuality is a choice in the way one thinks about. I'm choosing to wear this particular pair of shoes today, mm -hmm. you know, or I'm choosing to dye my hair. Um, that's, that's a glib idea of choice. But neither do I think sexuality is predetermined and singular in the way that I happen to be right or left-handed. Mm -hmm. So part of the problem is we have, we have framed it in this very simplistic nature versus nurture way. Either it's choice in a simple way like, oh, I'm choosing to dye my hair green today, or it is predetermined in a way that we really have no control over in this uh, similar to being hand, you know, handedness mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like that. And I think sexuality is just a much, much more complex process. Uh, and the idea that we should you know, rest... Um, uh, our rights on the basis of, of, of whether something's biologically predetermined is, a, to me, just a scary and terrible idea. You know, for someone to say, oh, give gays their rights because they can't help themselves mm -hmm. is demeaning to me. It's demeaning to all of us. Um, you, you get your rights because you're a citizen. You get your rights right. because you're human. 
not right. because of some uh, biological or not, um, whether it's choice or not, is immaterial. Right, right. Well, let's get to the marriage equality movement for a second. Uh, you know, I get this feeling really across the country that uh, now that we've achieved marriage, uh, we've achieved full equality, and you alluded to that earlier in our conversation why do you think there is such a focus on marriage rights and marriage equality, even over things like employment protection? Oh, you're so right. Well, I think there are a lot of reasons why this has happened. But let me just say I agree with you. I, mean, I think it is very troubling for any social movement, by the way, when one issue becomes synonymous with the whole panoply of rights that a group, a particular minority group, uh, wants to lay claim to. And this has certainly happened. I mean, I think we can all argue, you know, say this has certainly happened with the gay rights movement at this moment. I mean, honestly, if you go on Google and you put in gay rights, you're going to get gay marriage coming up every minute. There mm -hmm. is not a conversation I have with anyone about gay rights where it doesn't begin and end with gay marriage. And I have to say, you know, again, no social movement has based, has based itself and based its future and banked on, on an alignment with one particular issue. I mean, the civil rights movement, you know, cared about um, voting rights and cared about equality in, in employment and education, uh, but a whole range of things. It never, you know, was resting on one particular or one single issue. It's true for the women's movement as well. I mean, the women's movement has been involved with abortion rights, but also, of course, you know, equal pay, flex time in the workplace, violence against women, a million issues. So I, it is disturbing to me how marriage has ended up being synonymous with gay rights at this point. Now, why is that the case? I think some of the reason has to do just with the particularities of how cases have arisen uh, historically and how lawyers have taken particular cases. And, and we've had enormous, and I celebrate this, we've had enormous success with the gay marriage movement at this point. Surprising success. I think we're all just flabbergasted. Uh, at how states have been have been um, aligning themselves with right. this issue. No uh, doubt about that. I mean, it is something to be celebrated and wonderful. Uh, but I do think one of the reasons that marriage has become so central is that it it is a very easy issue for straight allies to align themselves with. So you know, it is it doesn't raise issues necessarily of uh, you know, challenging gender inequities and gender and sort of gender presentation. It doesn't raise issues around sexual freedom. It, you know, it aligns itself with very dominant ideologies in American culture around family, around particular visions of family, um, around the home, uh, around sort of uh, wrap yourself in you know, America and apple pie on this. And so I think marriage becomes something that straight allies can pat themselves on the back about and say, I'm all for gay rights. I, I want them to be able to have access to the same institution I have access to. And so it's become a, um, you know, a very feel-good position uh, for straight allies to say, because, particularly because it taps into ideologies of love and romance, mm -hmm. you know? Love knows no gender. Love knows no boundaries. You know, marriage is a celebration of love. Shouldn't everybody be able to celebrate love? And so I, you know, in that sense, I think it's been an easier, um, an easier one uh, for straight allies to get their heads around than issues that push harder at questions uh, around gender, questions around power, uh, questions around employment discrimination. It's not, it's just not as romantic right. <laughs> and to talk about, you know, we, about ENDA. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's always striking to me that we, you know, we, we have all these states now and, and all these celebrities falling over themselves to support gay marriage, but we can't get anywhere on ENDA. Right. Right. You know, much less, much less really talk about, um, about how gender plays in all of this. Um, and the, the persistence of gendered violence and gendered inequity. Mm -hmm. and, and talk more about that. You know, another theme that runs throughout the book is this idea that there's a lot of sexism in this country. Uh, talk about the role that gender plays in the tolerance trap. Yeah, I mean, I do think one of the reasons that, for example, um, the born this way um, argument has, has had such sway 
is that it taps into the most determinist ideas about gender that are circulating in our country. And in fact, most of the examples used when people make the arguments about biological you know, predetermination in some way, almost all of the examples used are about gender. You know, so there'll be a story on the news about some, you know, effeminate little boy who, because he's, because he's not traditionally gendered as masculine, must therefore be a sign that he's gay. Uh, so all of the traditional ideas we have about linking non-normative ways of displaying gender with sexuality and sexual desire um, are folded into the born this way kinds of arguments in a way that you know, is, has been with us for a long time and that feminists in particular have been fighting against for years. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the sexism at the heart of some of these and the, the sort of normative ideas of gender at the heart of some of these ideas about, you know, tolerance and about acceptance and about born this way and, and you know, God made me this way arguments are, are all very deep, I think. And, you know, I do think one of the things that's true about the tolerance, this, this what I'm calling the tolerance trap, is that, you know, part of the discourse of tolerance is tolerating those that look as much like you as possible. So I think, you know, part of what can happen with a language of tolerance is that those gays and lesbians, those queer folk who, in fact, are gender non-normative, who don't necessarily look and act and adopt the, the displays of gender, of normative heterosexuality, can be, can be not tolerated now, can be pushed further outside that acceptable range of gayness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things I worry about is that we'll have a kind of hierarchy of the good gays, those marrying gays, those, you know, white middle class gays who say, you know, say in the press, we hear them all the time. We're no different than you. We are just like you. We want everything you want. There's no difference here. Um, except us because we're just like you. That those gays will be allowed into the sort of charmed circle of, of citizenship. And other gays, gays who really claim a gender non-normativity, who, who are feminists, who, um, you know, sort of argue for, a, 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 you know, vive la différence, who argue for a sort of celebration of difference and, a, and an embrace of, of a, of a non-normative way of displaying their gender. Those gays might be pushed further outside of acceptability and tolerance. So tell us where we can learn more about The Tolerance Trap. TheTolerancetrap.com or SusannaWalters.com. Either one will get you to my website about the book. Fantastic. And if you missed either of those websites, we'll have both on our own website at OutbeatNews.com. Susanna Walters, congratulations on a great book, um, and I wish you the most success. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. Of all the letters in the LGBTQQIAA alphabet, the T is perhaps the least understood. But a new book, or should I say an encyclopedia of gender identity, was just released this month that should be of great help. And here to tell us more about this amazing resource is Jameson Green. Jameson, welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. Thank you, Greg. Well, before Pleasure we talk, to be here. Great to have you here. And before we get to talking about this very exciting new book, tell us about your background and how you got involved in the project. Well, I am a writer by trade, and... Uh, I wrote a book called Becoming a Visible Man, which was published in 2004, which is about the sort of formation of the current transgender movement from the female to male side. Mm -hmm. And there's never really been a lot of information about trans men's uh, experience. So my book was trying to be comprehensive about the issues, but I've also been involved since the early 90s in community building and was the leader of a group called FTM International which became the world's largest support and information group for trans men hmm. in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Well this new book Trans Bodies Trans Selves is really quite extraordinary. I would liken it to an encyclopedia uh, for the transgender community. It really contains almost everything you would ever want to know about gender identity. Talk about the parts of the book that you wrote. Well, 
actually, I worked with my colleague Dallas Denny to write a huge overview of media, how trans people are depicted in media uh, from in different genres and throughout history uh, since the uh, late 1800s. And what we ended up doing, because I think, I think Laura got a number of contributions that reflected a lot of media analysis. And so what I think she wanted to do with mine and Dallas's pieces, she scattered them around the books, uh, calling them spotlights, because they were, we were able to take an aspect of trans experience and then just do a quick sidebar about how that aspect say legal issues, for example, how a legal issue was reflected in the media. Mm-hmm. And there are so many different topics covered in the 649 pages of this, of this huge book. And a number of authors talk about some of the other ones that you know about and the pieces that they contributed. Well, my friend, Dr. Nick Gorton wrote something on general sexual and reproductive health. Nick is a real physician, and so when he writes about these topics, he knows what he's talking about. Um, Kyler Broadus and Shannon Minter, two attorneys who are good friends of mine, wrote the chapter on legal issues, which is really great. Uh, Reed Vanderberg, who's a fantastic therapist who's written his own book about how to, how to work with trans people and how to choose a therapist as a trans person, uh, wrote a piece on coming out, and he reads an extremely thoughtful, very insightful person, and I think mm -hmm. his his section's going to be great. Ryan Pauly wrote on parenting. Jenny Beeman, a huge section on U.S. history, which is really, really comprehensive. And, of course, Jenny Boylan, my friend, the, uh, the author, and Dallas Denny, who participated uh, in a lot of different sections as an advisor and worked with me on media stuff. And Well, it's going to be an incredible resource for sure. And I haven't had a chance to peruse all 649 pages of the book, uh, but the parts that I have read are very readable uh, for a variety of ages. From your perspective, talk about how you think this book is best going to be used. So this is going to be a book that is a useful tool for therapists and researchers, and parents, and family members, friends of trans people, virtually anyone who wants to learn about who trans people are is going to get something out of this book, including trans people themselves, who all have to learn about who we are as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really very comprehensive. Just some of the sections that, that are included here who we are, and it talks about the different intersections we were speaking about earlier, race and ethnicity, uh, immigration issues, disabilities, sure. religions, um, living as ourselves, the whole coming out process is covered, health and wellness, relationships and families, life stages from, from childhood to aging, and then, as you mentioned earlier, the history. I mean, it really is a 360-degree look at gender identity. Right, which is so crucial. I mean... Everyone has a gender identity, not just trans people. Mm -hmm. But trans people experience our gender identity differently than non-trans people. And that's something that everyone can learn from. Right. And let's go back to your own experience. I remember reading a portion that you wrote uh, where you were reflecting on your childhood, and there really wasn't anything to sort of consider uh, as you discovered your own gender identity. How would a book right. like this have impacted your experience? Well, certainly it would have given me a leg up. Um, I think, you know, we're all looking for those aspects of our society that mirror us. We're all looking for those points of connection where we feel heard and seen and understood. You know, when you're out there in a vacuum, it's really hard. And most trans people in our, in our society, until say the turn of the century prior to the prior to the 21st century trans people really for the most part have had to, to sort this out on our own mm -hmm. and now with a resource like this i mean sure the internet has been an incredible tool for trans people to be able to find people like themselves and see themselves 
while they were worried that they were the only person in the world like themselves, mm-hmm. they've been able to find out that they aren't. Um, this book is gonna sitting on shelves in professional offices, sitting in libraries where it's available to many people, um, is just going to make things so much easier. Well, parents play a pretty important role, you know, in a child's development. And, and again, again, I think gender identity is something that is just not commonly well understood by mainstream America, for sure. Do you think this is a book that, that all parents should have access to and when they think about the myriad of other issues and, and things they need to think about when raising a child? Is this something parents should look at as well? Well, I know it's really scary for parents who have a very young child who is insisting that they are not not a boy when they have a boy body or not a girl when they have a girl body. And you know, parents are very, very concerned about what this means for their child. And if, they, if the child were to actually transition, whether that's a social transition or a medical transition, what would that mean for them? And I know parents are concerned that their child is able to be loved and find love in their life and and to be safe. There's a lot of scary things about trans experience, and that's just a fact of our current society. Mm-hmm. And I do think that parents need to be aware of what is potentially in store, because knowing about the dangers and the confusion and the potential pitfalls is important because it helps people find solutions to those problems. Right, right. Well, the book is called Trans Bodies, Trans Selves, and it's available now for purchase. Tell us where people can go to learn more about the book and maybe pick up a copy. Well, there's a there's a website, uh, Trans Bodies, Trans Selves, and there's also, it's also it's published by Oxford University Press. You can order it there, or it's available on Amazon.com. Uh, just look up Trans Bodies, Trans Selves. Fantastic. And if you miss those links, we will have them on our own website at OutBeatNews.com. Jameson Green, thanks for spending your Sunday night with us and telling us about this incredible new book. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate the opportunity. And that brings us to the end of another hour. My thanks to Benjamin Hobson, Susanna Walters, and Jameson Green. Don't forget, San Francisco Pride Festival and Parade happens next weekend. We have all the details about all of that on our website at OutBeatNews.com. Tune in next Sunday night for an Outbeat Extra. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond. Support for Outbeat Radio and KRCB-FM comes from members and from General Organics, sustainably produced plant foods and supplements for modern cultivation. General Organics fertilizers are veganic, vegan and organic, produced from botanical extracts and natural minerals for plant nutrition at the molecular level. You'll find them on the web at genhydro.com. You're listening to KRCB-FM Windsor Santa Rosa, the new 91, with news, new music, and more. This is KRCB. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Climate One is next.